Section 3 of U.S. Energy Sector Vulnerabilities to Climate Change and Extreme Weather by the U.S. Department of Energy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island. Chapter 2. Decreasing Water Availability. Key Messages. Decreasing water availability for cooling at thermoelectric facilities could reduce available generation capacity and deployment of carbon capture and storage, CCS, technologies. Decreasing water availability could impact oil and gas production, particularly in times of drought. Reductions in river levels could impede barge transport of crude oil, petroleum products, and coal, resulting in delivery delays and increased costs. Changes in precipitation and decreasing snowpack could decrease available hydropower generation capacity and affect the operation of facilities in some regions. Decreasing water availability could decrease bioenergy production in some regions. Recent trends and projections. Increasing global temperatures and shifting precipitation patterns are causing regional and seasonal changes to the water cycle. Since 1901, total annual precipitation in the contiguous United States has increased at a rate of about 5.9% per century, although some regions, such as the southeast, southwest, and Rocky Mountain states, have experienced a decrease in precipitation. Across the country, changing precipitation patterns are affecting water availability. Overall, more annual precipitation is projected for the northern United States, while less precipitation is projected for the southern United States. However, precipitation is expected to vary seasonally, which is most relevant for understanding regional water availability and competing needs. In particular, the largest declines in precipitation are expected during the summer months. The fraction of precipitation falling as rain has increased over the last 50 years in many parts of the United States. In western states, the amount of water, precipitation, and fraction of that precipitation falling as rain rather than snow affects total snowpack, a natural reservoir, and therefore an important component of the water cycle. From 1950 to 2000, snow water equivalent declined for most of the western states, with losses at some measurement sites exceeding 75%. Snowmelt has occurred earlier in the season, resulting in peak runoff occurring up to 20 days earlier in the western states, and up to 14 days earlier in the northeastern states. In the future, more precipitation is expected to fall as rain rather than snow, particularly in the northern states and mountain regions. As a result, and because of warmer temperatures affecting snowpack, runoff is projected to begin earlier in the spring, particularly in the west and the northeast. Stream flows are generally expected to decrease in the summer for most regions. Annual stream flows are likely to increase in the northeast and midwest 
and decrease in the southwest. Drought conditions, extended periods between precipitation events that can be exacerbated by high evaporation rates and below average snowpack, have become more common and widespread over the past 40 years in the southwest, southern Great Plains, and southeast. At its peak in July, the drought of 2012 covered more than 60% of the nation, with the Mountain West, Great Plains, and Midwest experiencing the most intense drought conditions. In the southwest and southeast, longer periods of time between rainfall events will likely increase the total area affected by droughts. In the Midwest, evaporation rates are projected to increase, as is the duration between rainfall events. Overall, the frequency, intensity, and duration of droughts are likely to increase, and water levels are likely to decrease. Thus, the combination of more intense droughts and reduced summertime precipitation and stream flows may substantially impact water availability during the summer in some regions. Groundwater depletion is occurring across the United States, including in the High Plains, the location of the Ogallala Aquifer, and in the California Central Valley. Future impacts on groundwater resources will result from a combination of changes in precipitation patterns, increases in evaporation rates, increases in droughts, and increasing competition for water among various sectors, for example, energy, agriculture, industry, and residential. These impacts are expected to continue to decrease groundwater availability particularly in the central and western regions as heavily utilized aquifers experience reduced recharge rates. The appendix contains additional information about projected climate-driven changes in the hydrologic cycle for the United States. Implications for the energy sector Decreasing water availability directly impacts nearly all aspects of energy supply how electricity is produced, where future capacity may be cited, the cost of producing electricity, the types of generation or cooling technologies that are cost-effective, and the costs and methods for extracting, producing, and delivering fuels. Limited water available for cooling at thermoelectric facilities can affect power plant utilization. Increased evaporation rates or changes in snowpack may affect the volume and timing of water available for hydropower. Decreased water availability can affect bioenergy production. In regions where water is already scarce, competition for water between energy production and other uses will also increase. Future conditions will stress energy production infrastructure in all regions, particularly those with the most water-intensive generation portfolios. Table 4 summarizes the connections between components of the energy system and water quantity and quality. 
oil and gas exploration and production. The effects of climate change and water availability on the oil and gas sector include a combination of potential direct and indirect impacts. Water is required in many different stages of the oil and gas value chain, from exploration to processing to transport, and the volume of water used in these activities varies with the largest volume used in the refining process. Among exploration and production processes, the largest volume of water is used as a supplemental fluid in the enhanced recovery of petroleum resources. Water is required to a lesser extent for other activities, including drilling and completion of oil or gas wells, workover of an old oil or gas well, creation of underground hydrocarbon storage caverns through solution mining of salt formations, as gas plant cooling and boiler water, as hydrostatic test water for pipelines and tanks, as rig wash water, and as coolant for internal combustion engines for rigs, compressors, and other equipment. Water is not only used in conventional oil and gas exploration and production, but significant volumes of impaired water are produced in the process. This produced water is the largest volume by product associated with oil and gas exploration and production. The total volume of produced water in 2007 was estimated to be 21 billion barrels or 2.4 billion gallons per day. More than 98% of this produced water is injected underground. Approximately 59% is ejected into producing formations to enhance production and about 40% is injected into non-producing formations for disposal. Table 4. Connections between the U.S. energy sector and water availability and quality. Energy-related activity. Connection to water availability. Connection to water quality. Oil and gas exploration and production. Water is needed for drilling, completion, fracturing, and enhanced oil and gas recovery. Produced water can impact surface water and groundwater quality. Oil and gas refining. Water is required for refining processes. Refining processes can impact surface water quality. Oil and gas storage. Water is required for slurry mining of caverns. Slurry disposal can impact surface water quality and ecology. Fuel transport. Energy-related activity. Connection to water availability. Connection to water quality. Oil and gas transport. Water is needed for hydrostatic testing of pipelines. Wastewater can impact surface water quality. Barge transport of coal, oil, and petroleum products. Adequate river flows are required. Spills or accidents of fuels can impact surface water quality. 
energy-related activity, connection to water availability, connection to water quality, thermoelectric power generation. Water is needed for steam turbine cooling and scrubbing. Thermal and air emissions can impact surface water temperatures, quality, and ecology. Coal and uranium mining. Water is used for mining operations. Tailings and drainage can impact surface and groundwater quality. Coal slurry pipelines. Water is used during slurry transport. Used slurry water discharge can impact surface water quality. Energy-related activity. Connection to water availability. Connection to water quality. Renewable energy resources. Hydroelectric generation. Water stored in reservoirs is needed as energy source for generation. Reservoirs and outflow water can impact surface water temperatures, quality, and ecology. Bioenergy and biofuels. Water is needed for feedstock production and processing. Farming runoff can impact surface water quality Refinery wastewater treatment can impact surface water quality. In addition to produced water from conventional oil and gas production, significant volumes of produced water result from coal bed methane, CBM, production. CBM is recovered from coal seams and requires the removal of groundwater to reduce the pressure in the coal seam, which allows CBM to flow to the surface through the well. The amount of water produced from most CBM wells is relatively high compared to conventional natural gas wells because coal beds contain many fractures and pores that can contain and transmit large volumes of water. In 2008, approximately 55,500 coal bed methane wells in the United States pumped out more than 47 billion gallons of produced water and approximately 22 billion gallons of that produced water, or about 45%, were discharged either directly or indirectly via a publicly owned treatment works to surface waters. The quantity of produced water varies from basin to basin within a particular basin, from coal seam to coal seam, and over the lifetime of a coal bed methane well. For example, coal bed methane produced water volumes range from 1,000 gallons per day per well in the San Juan Basin, Colorado, New Mexico, to 17,000 gallons per day per well in the Powder River Basin, Wyoming, Montana. While the quality of produced water varies with appropriate treatment, produced waters from coal beds could be an important source of water to augment existing water supplies and provide system operators with flexible, cost-saving water management options. As unconventional oil and gas sources, including coal bed methane, tight, relatively low porosity and permeability gas sands, 
and shale oil and gas increasingly contribute to the nation's energy supply, attendant water demands for their development and production become increasingly important. This is especially true where deposits are buried deep in the ground because deeper wells require even more water. Shale gas and shale oil. Over the past decade, shale gas has become the most productive natural gas activity in the United States. According to the U.S. Energy Information Administration's EIA's most recent published data, shale gas production was virtually zero in 2000 and now contributes approximately 34%, 8 trillion cubic feet of U.S. natural gas production. EIA further projects that in 2035, shale gas will make up approximately 50% of U.S. natural gas production. Cambridge Energy Research Associates similarly estimates that by 2030, shale gas could represent 50% of the natural gas portfolio for North America. The recent expansion of shale gas and shale oil development is in part due to advances in horizontal drilling and hydraulic fracturing, which require large volumes of water. The fracturing process involves injecting a fracturing fluid, a mixture of mostly water, sand, and other ingredients, at high pressures into a well, which creates small fractures in the rock. Some of the water then returns to the surface, known as flowback, but the sand remains, propping open the fractures and allowing the gas or oil to move and flow out of the formation. Shale oil development is active in various parts of the United States with over 4 trillion barrels of in-place shale oil and an estimated 33 billion barrels of technically recoverable shale oil resources spanning eight states. Development will have implications for water quality and water resource availability but estimates of the impacts of shale oil development vary widely, at least in part because some of the technologies are still evolving. A 2010 U.S. Government Accountability Office report estimated that shale oil production requires about 13 to 26 acre feet, 4.2 to 8.5 million gallons of water, per day for operations that produce 50,000 barrels, 2.1 million gallons of oil per day. Shale gas development is most active in the Barnett, Fayetteville, Antrim, Haynesville, Woodford, and Marcellus shale plays. The total volume of water required for drilling and hydraulic fracturing a single well varies with many factors such as the depth of the shale formation determining water needs. The typical range falls between 4 million gallons per well, MGW, in the Barnett Shale and 5.6 MGW in the Haynesville 
and Marcellus shales. More than 90% of the total water required is for hydraulic fracturing rather than drilling. For example, the water required for drilling a typical shale gas well ranges from 65,000 gallons in the Fayetteville shale to 600,000 gallons in the Haynesville shale. Hydraulic fracturing fluid volumes, on the other hand, range from 3.8 MGW in the Barnett shale, which requires 250,000 gallons for drilling, to 4.9 MGW in the Fayetteville shale, 5 MGW in the Haynesville shale, and 5.5 MGW in the Marcellus shale. Decreasing water availability could impact oil and gas production, particularly in times of drought. Drought, particularly in water-stressed regions, such as the arid southwest, can limit the amount of water available for agriculture, drinking supplies, aquatic ecosystems, fuel extraction, and power generation. In Texas, for example, those needs are expected to increase to 22 million acre-feet, 7.2 trillion gallons, by 2060, with only 15.3 million acre-feet, 5.0 trillion gallons, available. Increased evaporation rates will exacerbate water issues during a drought, decreasing the amount of water available in surface ponds and holding tanks and could eventually lead to higher total water use. Increased hydraulic fracturing in shale gas developments could introduce additional strains on water systems. Water used in hydraulic fracturing can come from a variety of sources, including surface water, groundwater, municipal potable water supplies, and reused water from other water sources. The water may come from off-site sources via tank trucks or pipeline, although flowback and produced water, which contain very high levels of total dissolved solids, are sometimes reused during hydraulic fracturing operations. In many cases, the water is disposed of via injection into underground disposal wells or hauled to a municipal or commercial wastewater treatment facility. In Pennsylvania, water disposal fees of some water treatment companies ranged from 2.5 to 5.5 cents per gallon. One company conducting hydraulic fracturing operations in the Marcellus Shale Formation estimated annual cost savings of $3.2 million through greater reuse of its water. Decreasing water availability can also impact oil refining. Conventional oil refining requires 0.5 to 2.5 gallons of water per gallon of gasoline equivalent. Additional water may be consumed if reforming and hydrogenation steps are required. In terms of total water use, the United States refined approximately 0.71 billion gallons per day.
BG Day in 2005, resulting in water consumption for fuel refining of approximately 0.7 to 1.8 BGD. Reductions in river levels could impede barge transport of crude oil, petroleum products, and coal, resulting in delivery delays and increased costs. In August 2012, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers reported groundings of traffic along the Mississippi River due to low water depths from drought. This disrupted the transportation of commodities delivered by barges, including coal and petroleum products. Petroleum exports through New Orleans were valued at about $1.5 billion per month in 2012. When river levels decrease, barge operators reduce their loads. A tow, chain of barges, pulled or pushed as a group on the upper Mississippi, Illinois, and Ohio rivers typically has 15 barges, each capable of carrying more than 1,000 tons. A 1-inch, 2.5-centimeter drop in river level can reduce tow capacity by 255 tons. Likewise, the typical tow on the lower Mississippi has 30 to 45 barges, resulting in decreased capacity of up to 765 tons for just a one-inch decrease in river level. Most of the coal in the United States is mined in three regions, Appalachia, the Midwest, and a group of western states from Montana and North Dakota to New Mexico, including the Powder River Basin. Barges carry approximately 11% of U.S. coal to power plants. According to the EIA, 63% of coal production is projected to originate from western states by 2030, compared to 54% in 2011, meaning an even larger share of coal produced would be transported long distances. Continued transportation of fossil fuels by barge would maintain this vulnerability to reduced river levels in the future. Thermoelectric power generation. Increased temperatures and changes in precipitation patterns will limit water availability in some seasons and some regions of the United States, which will have implications for thermoelectric power generation, including coal, natural gas, nuclear, CSP, bioenergy, and geothermal facilities. Of all the water use sectors, for example, energy, agriculture, industry, and residential, thermoelectric power generation uses the largest fraction of fresh water in the United States, estimated at over 200 billion gallons per day, or approximately 40% of all freshwater withdrawals. Approximately 90% of thermoelectric power generation in the United States requires water for cooling, with dry cooling representing a very small percentage of the national total. While freshwater accounts for the majority of water used for cooling, 
seawater has been used for cooling thermoelectric power plants in coastal locations for many decades. Seawater constitutes approximately 30% of the total water withdrawn by the thermoelectric sector. Thermoelectric power plant freshwater withdrawals are significantly greater than freshwater consumption, which has been estimated in the range of 2.8 to 5.9 billion gallons per day, or 4.7 to 5.9 percent of total consumption levels. Low flow conditions in rivers and low lake levels due to drought, increased evaporation, or changes in precipitation and runoff patterns pose an operational risk to thermoelectric facilities using fresh water for cooling. The water use intensity and the impact of decreasing water availability depends on the type of power plant, cooling system employee, geographic location of the plant, and source of cooling water. For example, Water withdrawals per unit of power produced are far lower for closed cycle units, but water consumption is higher. Approximately 90% of the water withdrawn by thermoelectric power plants is for once-through cooling systems, and the remainder is for recirculating cooling systems. Once-through systems take water from nearby sources for example, rivers or lakes, circulate it through the condenser tubes to absorb heat from the steam and then return the warmer waters to the nearby source. For these systems, water consumption reflects the induced evaporation from the elevated temperature of the receiving water body. Once through cooling systems are particularly vulnerable to low stream flow conditions due to the large volumes of water withdrawn, approximately 10,000 to 60,000 gallons per megawatt hour, MWH, depending on the fuel type. In contrast, recirculating cooling systems reuse cooling water multiple times rather than immediately discharging it back to the water source. In recirculating systems that use cooling towers, some of the water evaporates while the rest is reused and sent back to the condenser in the power plant. Recirculating cooling systems, like once-through systems, continually withdraw water. While they withdraw notably smaller quantities of water from the source, between 250 and 1,800 gallons, per megawatt hour. They can also be affected by low flow conditions. Complicating the process, water lost through evaporation in the cooling tower must be replaced, resulting in appreciably higher water consumption than for once through systems. Water consumption rates can be two to three times higher for recirculating cooling systems than for once-through systems, ranging from approximately 200 to more than 1,000 gallons per megawatt hour. For comparison, once-through cooling consumes approximately 100 to 400 gallons per megawatt hour. 
Thus, less water is consumed by once-through cooling systems, but greater amounts of water are withdrawn, resulting in a greater potential for entrainment and impingement of aquatic organisms, greater thermal loading of aquatic ecosystems from the cooling water discharge, and perhaps greater sensitivity to low water conditions. Steam cycle coal-fired power plants typically use more water than steam cycle natural gas-fired power plants. Combined cycle plants are more water efficient because the gas turbine component of the combined cycle increases generation without requiring cooling water and reduces the overall water use per unit of electricity output. Nuclear power plants, CSP plants, and geothermal plants can withdraw and consume as much or more fresh water as fossil-fueled thermoelectric facilities. Decreasing water availability for cooling at thermoelectric facilities could reduce available generation capacity. Researchers from the Electric Power Research Institute used a set of five criteria including susceptibility to drought and growth in water demand to develop a water sustainability risk index. Approximately 25% of electric generation in the United States, 250,000 megawatts, is located in counties projected to be at high or moderate water supply sustainability risk in 2030. The study suggests that 28,800 megawatts of nuclear-powered electricity 76,900 megawatts of coal-powered electricity, and 120,881 megawatts of natural gas-powered electricity will be generated in counties with at-risk water supplies due to growth in water demand, susceptibility to drought, available precipitation, groundwater use, and water storage limitations. The National Energy Technology Laboratory evaluated the potential water-related vulnerabilities of all coal-fired power plants in the United States and found that nearly 350 plants, 60% of the plants identified in an analysis of 580 coal-fired plants, are located in areas subject to water stress, in other words, limited water supply and or competing water demand from other sectors. Approximately half of the 350 facilities use once-through cooling and half use recirculating cooling. Approximately 70% of the vulnerable facilities use surface water and approximately 80% of the vulnerable facilities with once-through cooling use fresh water. Cooling water availability could be limited by low flows, high water temperatures, or both. A recent study estimated the reduction in available capacity of thermoelectric power plants, nuclear or fossil fuel, in the central and eastern states for the period 2031 
through 2060 compared to 1971 through 2000. The study projects that the summer average available capacity of power plants with once-through or combination cooling systems is projected to decrease by 12 to 16 percent under B1 and A2 emissions scenarios. For recirculating cooling systems, the decrease in available capacity during summer is 4.4 to 5.9 percent. The study also projects that facilities with once-through cooling will experience capacity reductions of more than 25%, an average of 24 days per year, compared to 9 days per year at facilities with recirculating cooling. Projections of extreme reductions in capacity exceeding 90%, in other words, the plant is shut down or nearly shut down, are much less common, with an average occurrence of less than one day per year. The placement or location of the cooling water intake structures for thermoelectric power plants can also influence vulnerability to decreasing water availability. Cooling water intake heights will influence the degree to which intake structures are exposed or above water levels. During times of drought, river, lake, or reservoir water levels may fall near or below the level of water intakes used for drawing water for cooling, resulting in power production at some power plants being stopped or reduced. In a study of 423 thermoelectric power plants, 43% were identified as having cooling water intake heights of less than 10 feet, 3 meters, below the typical water level of their water source. Changes in load growth and other factors could also affect water requirements for thermoelectric power generation, exacerbating the impacts of decreasing water availability. Increasing power needs for the growing U.S. population could increase thermoelectric water consumption by as much as 27% by 2035. The actual amount of water consumed will depend on a number of factors, including the increase in electricity demand and the energy technologies and associated water intensities of those technologies. Since water consumption is substantially higher for nuclear and coal-fired generation than for natural gas combined cycle generation, low natural gas prices and increased deployment of natural gas rather than coal-fired generation could reduce the projected increases in water consumption. Cooling technologies will also affect water consumption and withdrawals. If older power plants using once-through cooling systems are retired and replaced with power plants using recirculating systems, water consumption will increase even though water withdrawal may decrease. However, retrofitting or replacing existing thermal generation to use non-traditional water, for example, brackish groundwater or municipal wastewater, 
or converting power plants to dry cooling systems could significantly reduce freshwater use. One study suggests that the use of non-traditional water or dry cooling in drought-vulnerable watersheds could save 847 million gallons per day, 3.2 million cubic meters per day, or about 17% of all thermoelectric water consumption. Finally, adoption of carbon capture and storage, CCS technologies, could contribute to increased water consumption. CCS requires water to strip CO2 from flue gas and power to process concentrated liquefied CO2. Carbon capture technologies also require auxiliary power, known as parasitic load or power loss. Estimates of parasitic power loss at a coal-fired power plant are approximately 20% of power plant capacity. Both withdrawal and consumption rates are estimated to be approximately two times higher for coal and natural gas facilities that include carbon CCS than for those without CCS, depending upon the generation and CCS technologies utilized. Decreasing water availability could affect the coal and nuclear fuel supply chains. Coal currently accounts for more than 40% of the electric power generated in the United States and uses water for many stages, from extraction to processing and transport. Coal can be mined from deep underground caverns, surface pits, or mountaintops. Coal mining processes can use significant amounts of water, an estimated 70 to 260 million gallons of water per day, or approximately 50 to 59 gallons of water for every short ton, 0.9 metric tons, of coal mined. Water is used at several different stages, including for cooling or lubricating cutting and drilling equipment, dust suppression, fuel processing, and revegetation when mining and extraction are complete. Depending on its quality, coal may need to be washed with water and chemicals to remove sulfur and impurities before it can be burned in a power plant. Nuclear energy provides about 20% of the electricity in the United States. Over the last decade, U.S. uranium mines have supplied less than 10% of the uranium fuel powering the nuclear fleet, with the rest imported. However, increases in the price of uranium oxide have sparked renewed interest in uranium mining across the United States. Water used to mine uranium has traditionally been comparable to the estimates for underground and surface coal mining between 1 and 6 gallons per British thermal unit, BTU. Uranium fuel processing requires additional water, 45 to 150 gallons per megawatt hour. Renewable Energy Resources 
the water demand associated with renewable energy technologies varies significantly. Water consumption for thermoelectric power generation based on solar CSP plants or geothermal technologies using once-through or recirculating cooling can be comparable to or even greater than that of fossil or nuclear thermoelectric power plants. In contrast, relatively little water is consumed in the generation of electricity from solar PV or wind technologies. One recent study calculates that if the United States could transition to an energy mix with 80% of its electricity supply coming from renewable sources by 2050 with nearly 50% from wind and solar PV generation using currently available commercial generation technologies, water consumption in the power sector would decrease by approximately 50%. However, greater use of the more water-intensive renewable technologies, such as CSP or geothermal, would result in less water saved unless those technologies were deployed with an alternative cooling mechanism. Hydropower. Changing precipitation and decreasing snowpack could decrease available hydropower generation capacity and affect the operation of facilities in some regions. Climate change may reduce hydropower production in some parts of the country. Decreasing water availability, either in reservoirs or in the rivers that feed them, can reduce hydropower potential and or necessitate a change in operating schemes. Projected changes in climate, including more precipitation falling as rain and less as snow, reduced snowpack, and earlier peak runoff, may decrease annual water storage, produce unplanned spills, decrease annual runoff, and otherwise alter stream flow. Decreases in stream flow decrease available hydropower generation capacity. Higher temperatures, less snowpack, and decreasing water availability have reduced the Colorado River's flow and left Lake Mead more than 100 feet, 30 meters, below full storage capacity. In the Colorado River's 100-year recorded history, 1999 through 2010 ranked as the second driest 12-year period yielding an average of 16% less energy from hydropower generation compared to full storage capacity generation potential, or the equivalent of a medium-sized power plant. Hoover Dam loses 5 to 6 megawatts of capacity for every foot 0.3 meter decline in Lake Mead, because at lower water levels, there's less water pressure to drive the turbines, as well as a greater potential for air bubbles to form and flow through with the water, causing the turbines to lose efficiency. Studies on the effects of stream flow on available hydropower generation in the Colorado River Basin suggest that for each 1% decrease in stream flow, 
power generation decreases by 3%. Costs of decreased snowpack. In 2010, the Bonneville Power Association estimated net losses of $233 million, or 10%, from reduced hydropower generation due to low snowpack runoff in the lower Columbia River. Hydropower production in the same snowmelt-dominated regions is projected to increase in the winter and decrease in the summer. For several California rivers, summer hydropower potential is projected to decrease 25% because runoff is projected to occur two weeks earlier under a climate scenario of 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit, 2 degrees centigrade warming. Results from a model designed to optimize hydropower pricing and estimate subsequent revenue under warmer climatic conditions in California predicted that even though hydropower prices are projected to increase annual high elevation hydropower generation under dry conditions could decrease by as much as 20% in 2070 through 2099 compared to 2005 through 2008. The study also projected revenue would decrease 14 to 19% over the same time period, depending on the climate scenario. Significant changes in hydropower availability are also expected in the Pacific Northwest. The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change projects higher annual runoff in this region to 2040 with potential increases in hydropower generation, but a possibility of modest decreases in hydropower generation in the longer term. One recent study simulated changes in streamflow in the Columbia River hydropower system under a variety of climate scenarios and projected the total annual hydropower production could decrease by 2.0 to 3.4% by the 2040s, which is the net effect of an expected increase of 47 to 5.0% in the winter and a decrease of 12.1 to 15.4% in the summer. Increased annual precipitation and potential hydropower generation is also expected in the northern Great Plains. In contrast, in the southeast and southwest, dry years are expected to increase in frequency and potentially result in reduced hydropower generation. Seasonal trends may be more relevant than annual trends in impacting hydropower generation. Summer is expected to be drier for nearly all regions of the United States, with the potential impacts to hydropower generation supply coinciding with peak electricity demand for cooling bioenergy and biofuel production. Changes in precipitation and runoff may affect bioenergy production. Drought and other changes in the hydrologic cycle may diminish feedstock production efficiency, 
for both traditional and second-generation bioenergy. Increasing competition for water, especially in times when and locations where water is scarce, will affect energy and food production alike. Decreasing water availability could decrease bioenergy production in some regions. Limited water availability due to projected decreases in summer precipitation for most of the United States could decrease crop yields. However, precipitation is projected to increase for northern states in the winter and spring, which could improve yields of certain crops. The risk posed to the energy sector will vary as a function of a number of factors, including the type of bioenergy crop, the share of that crop used for energy, temperature, precipitation, soil type, soil moisture, and availability of irrigation water. Irrigation requirements vary substantially across the United States, even for the same crop. A majority of the irrigation water in the Midwest and East is sourced from groundwater, while surface water is the main source for irrigation in the West. Water use in biorefineries has been significantly reduced as a result of energy and water-efficient designs in new plants and improved system integration in existing plants from six gallons of water required to refine one gallon of ethanol to 2.7 gallons of water per gallon of ethanol over a 10-year period. On average, producing one gallon of corn ethanol requires 17 to 239 gallons of water for irrigation and conversion. A typical 100 million gallon per year ethanol plant requires approximately 1 million gallons of water per day. Production of cellulosic ethanol from non-irrigated perennial grass requires fewer than 6 gallons of water per gallon of ethanol. Water requirements for algae produced from open ponds could be much greater depending on whether the harvest water is recycled and the location of the facility based on surface evaporation and pond operation. One study found that 520 to 3,281 gallons of fresh water is currently required to produce one gallon of biodiesel from microalgae. However, this freshwater demand can be substantially reduced if an alternative water resource is used. Solar energy. Decreasing water availability for concentrating solar power plants could decrease potential generation capacity. Annual and seasonal solar energy production could be affected by decreasing water availability particularly in arid regions such as the southwest, which has the greatest solar potential. While photovoltaic PV power generation consumes minimal volumes of water, for example, for mirror washing, and is minimally affected by water availability, 
Concentrating solar power uses steam generation and water cooling and requires significant volumes of water. For example, CSP power plants using recirculating water cooling typically consume more water than a natural gas, coal-fired, or nuclear power plant. Although CSP cooling technologies are generally the same as those used in traditional thermoelectric facilities, the CSP water footprint is greater due to CSP's lower net steam cycle efficiency. A typical parabolic trough CSP plant with recirculating cooling uses more than 800 gallons per megawatt hour. The majority of this water is used for cooling with less than 2% for mirror washing. These values compare to less than 700 gallons per megawatt hour for a nuclear power plant, 500 gallons per megawatt hour for a supercritical coal-fired power plant, and 200 gallons per megawatt hour for a combined cycle natural gas plant. Thus, deployment and operation of CSP power plants using recirculating cooling in water-stressed regions may be significantly impacted by reduced water availability and require adaptation of alternative cooling technologies, such as dry or wet-dry cooling. CSP plants with dry cooling can reduce water usage by more than 95% compared to conventional wet cooling systems. End of section three. Recording by Patrick McAfee, Merritt Island.